Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Transfer News Central podcast, of, although this could also be called my little project, the pilot episode of the 15 Minutes of Football podcast, which would be a show that wants to efficiently tackle some of football's biggest topics in 15 minutes or less. I'm liking the idea of that branding, but we'll go with Transfer News Central for now before we don't want to get into any other legal issues like Manchester City did of late. And I'm currently joined again by James. Hello, James. Hi. Yeah, yes. yeah. You liking the you liking the sound of the new format? I am. I think it's good. I think it it will. I think it'll um, attract more people when you've got a focused discussion on one topic. Mm. Uh, that, that that attracts a lot of people. Efficiently tackling the biggest topics. I think like we'll go with that slogan. I'll prompt you each time. You're looking forward to it, James? Yes. Efficiently tackling the. It's a bit like. Uh, <laughs> Get Brexit done, but that didn't go too well. So hopefully, um, no, no, it did not. But I want to start, of course. First topic of 15 minutes of football, which we want to tackle efficiently, is a very big one, actually Manchester City and uh, getting off pretty much scot free, except for £10 million. Now, that sounds like a lot of money, but in the footballing world, it's peanuts. Fine for their issues with financial fair play. So essentially, the reason why City avoided their two-season suspension from the Champions League was because the allegations were time-barred. Essentially, they had broken financial fair play, but that was between 2012 and 2016. And the uh, allegations and the, the, the apparent breaking of the rules was over five years old, in which case uh, UEFA had waited too late to act and Manchester City were able to avoid the initial two-year ban that was, that was put forward by UEFA. So, James, we'll, we'll go. We'll go to you here. There's some facts down there that are pretty. You know, that that's the that's the general that's the general facts of it. Uh, just one more, actually, that someone tweeted me that City has spent 1.16 billion since 2008, which is more than any other side in that time period. So, I want to know what your stance on it is. I know you're probably familiar with the facts, but what's your stance on the whole situation? And, and we're going to come on both sides of this. There's plenty of Yeah, I, I, okay. From, 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 okay, I'll, I'll look at it. I'll, I'll go from both sides of, of it. From Manchester City's perspective, legally, yes, in the last five years, maybe they haven't broken the rules. You could say legally they were correct to pursue the appeal. And, of course, the appeal's been, been, been worth pursuing because they've got let off. So, from that perspective, you can understand Man City's position that. I feel like you know this was this was over five years ago. This is beyond the the margin of judgment, so therefore we shouldn't be punished for it. But I know a lot of Manchester City fans seem to think that UEFA have some kind of agenda against Manchester City, and they genuinely believe that a lot of Manchester City fans uh, and Pep Guardiola does nothing to kind of <laughs> to discourage that either in some of his public comments. But I think in terms of a kind of moral, ethical perspective i think having been given a two-year ban which you don't you wouldn't be given unless there was significant evidence and then getting off with a kind of fine which like you say is peanuts basically in the football world is doesn't quite feel like justice to me and especially because the implications of it could be you don't know they could be catastrophic they could be you know i mean so many clubs have been have been done for financial fair play by uefa and I've already seen stories of some clubs who've been banned. You know, going to, now they're now going to appeal because there's now a precedent. Yeah. So you yeah. can go. Lawyers can go. 
there is a precedent for overturning these uh, overturning these these cases, and it essentially means. I mean, the, the danger that it could mean that financial fair play is effectively irrelevant. Jose Mourinho said today in a press conference, financial fair play doesn't mean anything anymore. There's, you know, because 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 Manchester City just got off with breaking the rules because they did break the rules. They got off on a technicality, and to me, like I think a fair, I think a fairer judgment would have been a smaller fine and will ban you for a year. Mm. Because mm. ban for a year actually probably wouldn't would dispel all of the stars. Yeah. They'd be able to keep most of their players would would stay. Mm. You know, they could do one year out of the Champions League, mm. and the financial cost of being at the Champions League for for one year is much less than two years. And it would be seen as a punishment, and people would say, "All right, well, we actually can't do this because we can't, we won't get away with it." You know, we we have to keep to the FFP rules because if we don't, there will be a punishment for it. For me, that would have been the most sensible course of action. Mm. Uh, and I'm trying to say this without any kind of prejudice or bias yeah. at all. You know, because I think that yeah, I think that would have been fair. No, I, th- uh, I think also, Jen- I see my, I see City's position because. They say, well, we haven't done anything in the last five years. Mm. The, the judging period is five years. Mm. And really, the, to be honest, UEFA made a bit of a mess of it in, of how they, in how they handled it. They should have done this before. Mm. They should have done this before. It shouldn't have been, if they, like, for example, if they'd done it two or three years, if they prosecuted a year or two ago, the ban would have been up, might have been upheld, you know. But uh, yeah, they didn't handle it. They didn't handle it very well. There was a case to be made. Mm. But you know, Manchester City have got limitless finances and access to the best lawyers. And you know, I know that there's some people who think that because of the amount of money that uh, you know, the Far East are putting into football clubs, uh, you know, PSG and Manchester City and all these people, uh, uh, there's politics involved as well. Now, I don't know that. I'm not going to make any assumptions or accusations around that. But you know, but but it wouldn't you know it wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be unrealistic to that you know given what we've seen in FIFA to see things like that go on. Yeah, but, but I, I don't. Yeah, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dwell on that. That's not really a a big issue of, of discussion for me. The like I think Man City had had a case. They won the case. I see their their perspective. I think the fairest position would have been give them a year and reduce the fine. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the thing is, I mean, I, I sort of tried to try to go on the other side. I mean, FFP is a sense in my in my eyes is is almost you know some kind of it feels it feels a bit like it, it feels. I mean, the idea was when it came in that it was supposed to protect football clubs, you know, and whatnot. But to an extent, I feel like it's more keeping the elite elite, and I do I do think there's a point in a point in that. So. I mean, you know, a lot of people look at Manchester City, they target them and they say, oh, they're doing this, they're doing this, they're doing that. I mean, when you, you've alluded to it, I mean, PSG are basically tyrants of the French League. You look at Barcelona as well, and, and they've managed to come up with some incredible transfer figure numbers, you know, in terms of Griezmann, 105 million, Coutinho, 140 million, Isman Dembele not too long ago, 105 million. Again, I mean, they are essentially, remember, P- Manchester City's record signing, 62 million for Rodri. I mean, people seem to think that they are 
this yeah. team that goes out there and absolutely blows the football world away and causes inflation to transfers. In actual fact, it's quite the opposite. They are a team that do business efficiently. Yes, they haven't made any significant sales of late. So, you know, you can look at that and say, well, that is a bit unfair in itself. And it is. And it is. But then neither of Barcelona, neither of PSG, Real Madrid, not really. They For years, they just spent ridiculous amounts of money until recently where they've clamped down a little bit, actually, as a result of FFP. But I think, you know, I, th- I think there is, a, there, there is a, a little prejudice towards Manchester City in the sense that it's new money, in the sense that it's sort of, you know, yeah. um, they, they don't have the history of Manchester United. They don't have the history of, you know, other other big clubs, Barcelona, Real Madrid out there. And there, oh, there okay. is a sense that they want to be cut down because it's like they've gone to, you know, a, the swanky um, party on the 110th floor of the of the hotel and they've gone in, you know, and people are saying, oh, what are you doing here? You're not one of us kind of thing. And it does, and, it, and I do think there is a bit of that in it. There um, is, and I absolutely empathise with that as a, you know, as a Chelsea fan that also went through a it's similar the same thing. thing. And, I, and I remember a guy, I saw a quote from a journalist who used to work for UEFA and mm. pretty much said, uh, pretty much said, UEFA don't, don't like Chelsea and not to talk about Chelsea and UEFA offices because they're not, they're not liked. Mm. Because again, it's the same thing. They're seen as kind of breaking up the established order in football. Mm. Mm. No, so I mean, to a certain extent, there's an element of empathy between Chelsea and Manchester City fans sometimes because, yeah, you know, and of course, especially when we got a transfer ban from UEFA as well, it was a lot of the same things were being said. Like, well, I was having this argument really, James. And, you know, that kind I of was thing. having the argument with someone actually who's a Manchester United fan, and he was saying, "Well, City broke broke this regulation and that regulation." I said, "Yeah, that's fair enough, but." When Manchester United were under Jose were under Jose Mourinho and they were taking on Guardiola City, United went with um, you know they they went quite heavy into the transfer market. They got eighty nine million pound Paul Pogba, seventy five million Romelu Lukaku. Obviously they broke even with Lukaku, but they still paid the fee uh, initially seventy five million. They also paid thirty two million for Lindelof, thirty million for Bailly. They brought Alexis Sanchez in on ludicrously high wages. So there was a lot, you know, they spent, they spent a heck of a lot of money with Manchester United. And the only, as I say, the only significant sale from all of that was breaking even on the carcass. But no one really brought that into the equation too much because obviously United could do that with, because they're a bigger club with more revenue and they've got better sponsorship deals. And obviously yeah. they abided towards FFP more. But I just, I, I just posed the question, what gives Manchester United the, the right the unequivocal right to spend more money than the neighbours, other than the history that they have as a football club. Because I'll tell you something, in the last 10 years, Manchester United haven't had the right. 10 years is a bit much because obviously they won a few titles in the place. Maybe we'll go six, seven years. But in the last six, seven years, they've, they've declined significantly. They've not had that right to, to go out there and spend lavishly. They really haven't, and they have. And the reason why people aren't talking about Manchester United spending as much Simply, other than other than the fact that they have the sponsorship deals to sort of back that up somewhat, is because they've not done anything in that period. They they stagnated under Jose Mourinho. Yeah. They got second, and they didn't necessarily get. They got a few trophies, sure. They didn't win the league. They didn't win the Champions League. To to something which that spending would suggest that they wanted to do. Um, so it seems to be prod Manchester City with the stick. Obviously, I think, like you say. 
it does make a farce of financial fair play a little bit, this whole situation. But I think it's a bit of a farce anyway, because you've said that there could be some repercussions from this. And that's true. We could have, there is the potential for crazy spiralling wages or transfer fees or inflation like that. Maybe not now we're in the recession that we're in. I mean, I know Gary Neville's a bit of a sceptic of it as well. I mean, it does, to me, it does seem like it's it's more something for the elite, like I've just said, and with UA for trying to, you know, you always get this feeling in the background, they're trying to push for their European Super League. You know, I always hear uh, reports of that in the background. However, that, that does seem to be quite a way away. But that it, ideally, that is, a, that is something that they would probably want because it's lucrative. All the big clubs would like, a lot of the big clubs would like it because it would keep them lucrative, it would keep them relevant in a really big league like this. And financial fair play is almost that in light, isn't it? It's, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll make sure you stay up there, we'll make sure no one comes down. So I wouldn't be that annoyed if it, if it disappeared. The only downside is that, well, it's like, again, I think Gary Neville touched on it, there, there are other ways to, to prevent football owners from being ridiculous with the money and sending clubs bust. It needs to, that needs to be looked at. I mean, in the lower leagues, we've seen that happen. We've seen clubs go bust. We saw Bury go bust because, you know, of poor ownership and, and not dealing with the finance. So we've seen that happen in our, in, in, you know, in the lower leagues. And there needs to be, I think, more across the board, more regulations in place to stop bad owners taking over football clubs. And if people do send them into a financial meltdown, then they have to be prepared to suffer the consequences of saying, well, I'm going to leave. You know, this isn't on me. I'm going to wash my hands of it. That's too easy. I'm not convinced financial fair play really does that, though. I, I, again, I feel like, I don't know. I'm, I've never been a fan, uh, a complete fan of it. While it does look like that topic itself, financial fair play as, as, a, as, an, organ, as a, an idea is in jeopardy now, what are your quick fire thoughts, I'll say? Because I've got about one minute on this. I think there needs to be... St- Things in place to restrict reckless spending mm. uh, outside of a club's income. Mm. Uh, I think there need to be better regulations on club ownership. And again, like you say, punishing club owners who run their clubs into the ground. Mm. They should they shouldn't be allowed to do that. And there should be some kind of financial support for clubs that where that gets done. And yeah, so and they've got to look at it. They've got to look at reforming it basically. No. Fantastic. Reform. Reform is the key. And and that is about that is about roughly where we are on the mark. So that's topic one done. Topic two seamlessly rolls over now. So uh, you know, imagine if we were doing edits, it'd be hi, welcome to 15 minutes of football again. But I think we're doing it all together this week, but uh you can stay with us. Yeah, so it just seamlessly rolls over. Manchester City have survived what could have been a, a very precarious situation. Now enter a summer transfer window which is a bit different to the others but they enter it with fresh optimism because they're in the champions league uh they can attract the best players they financial fair play has been relaxed i think in light anyway of the recession and basically it's it's almost considered irrelevant now so yeah are we expect i mean you know I, i've seen a few players that they've been linked with are you expecting a big sort of angry transfer surge in, in light of that and the fact that they've fallen so far behind Liverpool this year in the, in the league. I do. I absolutely do. Um, and the players they've been linked with are players that, in positions that they need to strengthen. You know, mm. the biggest, I mean, the one that the, the one name that seems to keep popping out is, is Koulibaly, mm. which would make a lot of sense for Manchester City. Mm. 
Uh, he played for Napoli, which have, you know, he played under Sarri at Napoli, where they played a kind of passing style of football, which Man City play. He is commanding. He is elite. Uh, he is like the Virgil van Dijk kind of player. You know, he he would replace company essentially. Mm. Uh, well, he I, that wouldn't surprise me at all. If that and James, just to touch on that, actually, Victor Osimhen has joined or is set to join Napoli uh, for eighty-one million euros. Yes, I heard that. And yeah, obviously, Napoli probably can't spend the same amounts as other clubs now. It'd be interesting if they had someone who could leave for a large chunk of that. Yes, money. what I've heard about Napoli is that they were they're going to get Omnichen and they're going to get Gabriel mm. centre back, who is a left centre back. Which is mm. where Koulibaly plays. Mm. So yeah, yeah, I think Koulibaly is going. Is I, I wouldn't be surprised if Koulibaly ended up as a Manchester City player. Mm. Uh, that would be their probably their club record signing, mm. but a good signing, and it would make a huge difference to their defence for next and season. I've seen figures roughly in this in the higher sixties for Koulibaly, and I think even though he's initially the figures the buyout clause was over a hundred million, and that seemed farcical a little bit at the time, even for. You know, I mean, I only say farcical because Virgil van Dijk cost 75 million and probably is the best in the world. So buyout clause of that did seem a little OTT. But, you know, I think 60, high 60s, I know he's 29, but in, in centre-back terms, that's not too bad because you can still do another four or five years probably in that period. Look at Sergio Ramos. He's smashing free kicks in from 30 yards for Real Madrid as, as well as exactly, defending really yeah. well. Um, so no, I I do happen to agree. I think I do. Well, actually, we'll, 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 I'll mention it now because yeah, I'll mention it now. So the twenty-nine-year-old Koulibaly, you know, I've sort of they've kind of been linked with David Alaba. I also massively believe they should go for David Alaba. We'll talk about that in a second. But twenty-nine yeah. Alaba would be twenty-eight, but we'll go with twenty-nine Koulibaly. Finished product, ripe and ready, going in the into the Premier League, big, strong. Fast, good on the ball, colossus at the back. Probably best defensive partnership in the league if it went with Laporte, that, uh, those two. Absolutely. Uh, on balance. But 29 and, and, and a few other players that they're looking at. Maybe, is there a sense that maybe Man City could, could think, right, you know, we've probably got one or two more seasons of Guardiola left. Let's go out on a high. We've done the Young Players Project. We've just got, uh, we've been a bit embarrassed this season by Liverpool. Instead of saying, oh, shall we, shall we develop this youngster into the next big thing? Obviously, they've got some fantastic youngsters who will still be developing. Uh, do they think, you know, that centre-back position has always been a bit of an issue? Even with company, remember, James, even company, even though he was really, really good, he, he was only fit for one in three games near enough, wasn't he? If we look on balance over Guardiola's time, and that's yeah. our best. Do they think, right, experience, get the job done now, instead of, trusting a youth like we've done all the way through because Guardiola's in the latter half of his time at City he might have one or two seasons maybe three if you know he can be persuaded but you know I, I, I mean I think they'll want an instant response won't they and they won't want in a way they won't want Jurgen Klopp to have you know overshone their great Spaniard that's true and, I, and again every three or four years any team needs to a big refresh in mm. terms of the squad, like first team players coming into the squad. No matter who the manager is, you have to you have to kind of rebuild a little bit after every three or four year period. He's been there for four years now. Mm. Mm -hmm. First two summers they spent a lot. Mm. Last summer 
they didn't the last two summers they haven't spent quite as much. They still spent, but not quite as much. Mm. I think this summer they're going to spend a lot. I mean, you've got David Silver leaving. Bill Foden will probably replace him in the squad. Um, they definitely need a centre back. They want a left back. Mm. Uh, there's been like Alaba has been linked. Sandro has been linked today. Then Chilwell's another one. They've been linked with. They're going to need to replace Aguero at some point because he's getting into his 30s now and he's getting more injured than he used to be. So that, that will be one to watch, definitely. And, and of course, they need a replacement for Sane, mm. uh, which I, the, the one that keeps coming, the name that keeps coming up there is, is, to, is uh, Torres, Torres, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he's near to the end of his contract. More as well. traditional winger, I think, Torres. A bit like Sane, and I think he's a, more of a crosser than a shooter. But tell you what, I'll throw a name out there because I wrote about this recently and he was linked with Arsenal actually. But I think Memphis Depay, 26 years old, 12 months on his contract. And the reason I say Depay is because I think there was unfinished business. He came to United, looked pretty good under Louis van Gaal, ostracised by Jose Mourinho really, went to Lyon, revitalised his career, has openly said that he would like to come to the Premier League and play for, you know, Manchester City or something like that. And he is not only a player that can play at left wing, but also at uh, as a striker as well. So he's a very, yeah. you know, very versatile. And um, yeah. you know, I think um, I, I, I think he could do. So. And, and I'm, I'm thinking more twenty million, twenty million pound, which has been roughly thrown around. I think that's quite a cost effective, cost effective player. Yeah, he's just had a big injury, hasn't he? Uh, mm-hmm. He's just come back from that. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's why my some clubs might be. A little more skeptical, but he's definitely a good player. He's, he did, he was doing really well for Leon until the injury, and mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. very well, consistently well. You know, mm. the potential showing the potential that Man United paid for when they bought him. Mm. Uh, you know, obviously it didn't work out, but he's showing that potential at, at Leon. So yeah, I mean, that, I, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, that's another another option for them, uh, although they haven't been linked with him. Uh, yeah, it's just something as well. They don't necessarily need to directly. It wasn't like, you know, people say, oh, Leroy Sané will be a big loss. Andy will, he's a great player. But Sané hadn't been playing for Manchester City regularly for a long time. I mean, it was the last season when they won the league. He, about, I don't know, late January, early February, he'd been phased out because we, well, one imagines now, we all imagine now that he probably let. Uh, Pep Guardiola probably became aware he was reluctant to sign a new deal and uh, Guardiola wants people who are already committed and doesn't want to be relying on someone who isn't going to be around, you know, who isn't going to be around for a really long period of time. And then Sterling went from right wing to the left wing and he's basically the left winger now and uh, on the right you had Bernardo Silva and then Riyad Mahrez. So it's not like they've not coped. In fact, he's barely featured and they've done pretty well, really. Um, But again... Because I, I, I don't think you're going to get someone on that left-hand side who's displacing Sterling. I don't. I don't think, you know, he's one of the best wide players in the in the in the world. But when you've got someone like Memphis Depay who said, oh, you know, a few, I think it was only uh, the back end of last year. Oh, you know, I'd love to return to England. The prospect. I'd love to play for Manchester City. It's like, you know, it's an almost come and get me. And if you've got that enthusiasm to go there, you probably are aware that you're not going to be. Playing every single week because such is the competition at the club. Absolutely, yeah, that's right. And I love, I just love how Manchester City have gone about their squad building because they haven't just got starters. They've got players on their bench 
who could be starters. Oh, yeah. yeah, they have. Mm. And uh, we'll come to this later when we talk about Chelsea. But the, it's a that when you want to compete in four competition and go to the end in four mm. competition, you can't just have a good starting eleven. Mm. You, you know, Liverpool, for example, this season mm. have won the league at a canter. Yeah. Um, but they haven't. But they got knocked out of the Champions League. They got knocked out of the domestic yeah. cuts relatively early. You know, so uh, Manchester City went won all three domestic competitions last year and got to what the quarterfinals of the Champions mm. League, and that's because they have this insane depth because they want to win everything. Mm. And that's if you want to win everything, that's how you do it. And Manchester City are the example of that. And you know, they bring in these players this summer that they're looking at. They will have that depth again, mm. uh, you know. And, and Liverpool can't spend much this summer. No, nope. they still have a very strong team, by the way. Liverpool. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's be clear about that. But but the title race will not be a possession next season. It will be very close. Mm. Manchester City will be a lot stronger next season, mm. uh, and so we'll close the gap a lot. And uh, I could even win it. Yeah, can I just. Uh, that that other one, the other name I mentioned at you, James, actually, David Alaba, certainly someone who's played under Guardiola, thrived yeah. under Guardiola, improved a lot under Guardiola when he was at, at Bayern Munich, and he's openly said that. Obviously, this season at Bayern Munich, Alfonso Davies has really burst onto the scene. One of the fastest players in Europe, but not just not just a pace merchant. He's excellent at crossing the ball. Defensive instincts are pretty good, and he's oh, he's so so young. Uh, and 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 so there's so much potential there, and he's played every week at Bayern Munich, and I think almost that you've got the sense there that having ousted David Alaba, moved moved Alaba to centre back, left centre back. It's you know it says everything about Alfonso Davies, uh, but it also suggests that you know 12 months left on, on David Alaba's contract at Bayern Munich. Um, you know they've got quite a few decent centre backs: Lucas Hernandez, Jerome Boate, and Nicolas Sule. So the, there is the potential. I mean, even Hansi Flick, I think, mentioned, um, you know, we'll 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 allow Alaba to do whatever he wants. We'd love to keep him, great player, but you know, his future is is up to him. At 28 as well, he's, he, again, I'm talking about the ready-made product and sort of fast-tracking, uh, as we say, uh, some players into Manchester City's team as, in light of Guardiola being in the second half of his, uh, well into the second half of his City um, proposed City tenure. I can't think of many better options for Man City. Not only can he play at centre-back and probably in midfield, because he has played in midfield and plays in midfield for his country, I think, sometimes, Austria. Uh, and he can play at left-back. You know, I mean, personally, I think Benjamin Mendy's a, a very good player, a good player. Uh, I think he's better in a back in, 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 with wing-backs. I think he's more, you know, in a, in a system with wing-backs. I think he's, he's come back from the restart without the injuries, maybe, that, that, that plagued him. He has, he's, he's done quite well for fitness since he's been back. But to me, he just doesn't quite convince me, you know, in that Manchester City team where the little intricacies stand out a mile and I feel like he misses the, misses the mark slightly. Uh, not that it, and that doesn't mean that he's not a good player. He's a very, very good player. He could, do, could still play for Man City and look really, really good. But for me, and I think you probably agree, I think someone like Alaba coming in who's thrived under Guardiola before could do the little neat one-twos is consistent defensively, doesn't make many mistakes. That would be an upgrade. Absolutely would. It absolutely would, yeah. It'd be an upgrade for most teams. I have read some comments by Alaba saying that he doesn't want to play as a left-back. It's interesting, anymore. isn't it? That he, want, that he would like to play in midfield. Uh, there, was some, uh, there was an interview a few months ago with him 
and this was just his own preference, but he can play left-back, centre-back, defensive midfield. You know, he's a quality player. If you ever get him, he's mm. getting a really good player who will deliver straight away, pretty much. I, I think he prefers left-back to centre-back, but obviously I think midfield, because he plays there for his country. I do think, as a midfielder, his, his ceiling of clubs is less. I think as a centre-back, he's obviously, he'd have Bayern, he'd be still at Bayern Munich if he, if, you know, he felt comfortable there wanted to keep going for at least another season or two. But then again, they've got a younger Lucas Hernandez, so they've got to throw that into the equation and some other centre-backs yeah. on, the, on the books. I do think if he, if he did have a preference to play every week or most weeks in the big games and more security over future and he, and he would be content in going back to a position he's, he's thrived in, I think. I, I still wouldn't be surprised if he went to Man City. You heard it here, second or first. No, no. And Pep would probably stick him in midfield as well because he loves his midfielders, doesn't he, Guardiola? If he could line up with 11 midfielders on the pitch, he would line up yeah, with Yeah, Pep loves players who can play in multiple positions as well. So, you know, very, very would, would, would probably could probably play midfield, would play, would play probably in midfield at some point. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. he wouldn't rest Rodri. Well, his, inver- his inverted fullbacks go into the mid- midfield, don't they? I mean, they, they interact yeah. with... Yeah. That's right. So he'll be a good fit. Top, top no, yeah, and that sort of rounds us off on that topic. And I just, I just, just before we do go on, it's, this is just a little note from me. If Claudio Bravo goes, I somehow see a free transfer for Pepe Reina being a shout as a number two for Manchester City. Mm. If uh, you know Bravo just disappears, he's still got some legs in him. I honestly, just one more thing actually. Manchester City. I heard today, I uh, read today a story that that Manchester City are interested in taking Yang Vertonghen on a free transfer. As well. Oh, no, I don't, I don't like that. I don't agree with it. <laughs> no, no. Um, but I, but, but uh, yeah, there was a rumour, there was a story about that today, which was a bit confusing, really. But uh, yeah. I don't know if that would suit Manchester City. I don't think it'd suit Chelsea, even with their go- uh, defensive disaster classes at the moment. But uh, yeah, I mean, I topic three is basically a honing from your point of view actually on the Chelsea situation at the moment and we've got I've got sort of a few ideas of what to ask you but from I'll start with an overview really in that I feel like Chelsea were doing quite well they were they were in contention really for the top four they were playing largely a 4-2-3-1 kind of formation or something a bit more flexible than what they're doing now Jorginho was playing quite often and doing quite well Kante was playing quite often doing quite well Kovacic was a mainstay and doing excellently, uh, a lot, you know, as in, 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 uh, throughout that season. Now, all of a sudden, after the restart, it's gone to a four-three-three with two obvious number eights. Kovacic seems to have been, um, you know, left left out in the cold. Jorginho had been left out in the cold. You know, Angolo Kante has played a position which probably does suit better than Jorginho, but doesn't seem to suit properly for Chelsea. Even you know, neither of them really suit that lone number six. I don't think. Uh, you've got Ross Barkley playing as a number eight quite often, one of the most frustrating players I think I, I could ever watch. Scores a goal, makes five, misses five easy passes. Do you <laughs> think that the four-two-three-one then, James, or or the flexibility of that kind of, with, with roughly that being the, the 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 main formation, do you think that was designed to get the best out of what Frank Lampard had? And now he's coming into a summer with, with, with where he can spend money. Do you think he's play he's going right? I'm moving to my preferred formation and I'm going to spend my way to making this formation work. I think you absolutely nailed it. I think, yeah, obviously he had the transfer ban. He was stuck with what he had. So he had to make the most of what he had. And 
and also had a few injuries to key players as well. You know, lost cheek, mm. had a major injury. Hudson Odoi had a major injury. Kante has been out a lot of this season, injured as well. So uh, he missed more games this season than he has in the last three or four seasons combined, mm. I think. Uh, and yeah, I think that was the first half of the season. Really, was just using what he had and making the most of it. Lampard has proved that he can adapt his formation to what he has and to the opposition as well. He's played 3-4-3 and it's been effective this season. He's played 4-2-3-1, it's been effective. He's played, now he's playing a 4-3-3 with, with two eights. And I think that is the formation he wants to play. And it's actually very reminiscent of what he played in, um, you know, under the peak years at Chelsea under Jose Mourinho, you know, in the 2004, 2005, 2006. That's basically what they played. It's very similar. Uh, and I think that's what he wants to play. And if you look at the, tra- the, the players that Chelsea are going for, and in particular, Kai Havertz is the, is, t- tells you a lot about how Lampard mm. wants to play. Mm. If Kai Havertz is basically that. I mean, Kai Havertz can play attacking midfield eight. He can play on the right. He can play as a kind of false nine and be effective in all of those positions. But I think Chelsea want to buy him as an eight. Uh, and I think that's why they want him. Yeah, because they've got they've got Mason Mount, who's done fantastically this year. They've got Loftus Cheek, who is coming back to full fitness now. And then they'll have, and if they sign for Havertz, they'd have him as well. They'd have those three players going for those two positions with Kovacic, who can play as a number eight as well. So he'd be the kind of fourth choice in that position. And then you have. You know, Nvelo Kante is, is the defensive midfield player. Billy Gilmore can play in the six as well, although he's injured right now, which I think might open a possibility for Ethan Ampadu, who can play there as a kind of backup to Kante. He's actually more of an orthodox defensive midfielder than Kante, if I'm honest. Yeah, I think that's. I think they, I think you're seeing that, and I think you know what I what I, what I heard from like David Ornstein, who's a very well sourced mm. journalist for the Athletic. There was a three-year plan at Chelsea. There was uh, the first year would be this year, building around the academy talents with the transfer ban. Then have two big summers of investment in rebuilding the squad. Mm. And I think that will involve a defensive midfielder at some point, probably next summer, a proper one, rather than Kante, who's a world-class player. Don't get me wrong, but he's not a natural defensive midfield player. In well, he's good at it. I mean, he's good at it because he's a world-class player, but he's not, that's not his kind of specialist position. Mm. Uh, you know, he's more of a box-to-box defensive midfield player. Yeah. That yeah, um, it does. So, so, yeah, I think that's, I think that was, that's what you're starting to see. And, you know, there'll be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of changes this summer at Chelsea. There'll be more next summer. There's going to be a lot of players leaving. Mm. Yes. You're starting, comments after the Sheffield United game, I thought were very telling. He was, it was, to yeah. me, it sounded like he was essentially saying, I've put up with a lot of players here that I didn't really want and I've been playing them. But tonight I really saw what they're really made of and it's kind of like that was the final straw for a lot of those players. Mm. Kind of I, had enough. Yeah, I mean, is, do you think uh, that you, you talk about the, the number eight, so Kovacic, who had been player of the year, arguably now faces... Um, you know, being, being exiled from, from, from the squad or maybe even sold, depending on you know, if he has any suitors. Do you think, though, that... that I, I touched on Ross Barkley. I think, as I say, I think he's one of those who does... He seems to he seems to score... Go- I mean, if Ross Barkley played, 
all, all season in the number eight. I bet he'd get 10, 12 goals. I really do and get a few assists. But at the same time, I do think I watch him and I think, oh, you're not in sync with everyone else. And this, you know, the, the, the simple five-yard pass is behind the player or this isn't quite working. But if you look at his base stats, his, his finishing's excellent. Either, either foot, just outside the box. Do you think that this system at the moment where he's been playing quite a lot actually since the restart do you think this means that he has a Chelsea future uh, as opposed to some of the other players that oh. no I don't I, I think you know if Chelsea signed Kai Havertz he would be the one that that gets sold and there's apparently interest from West Ham and, and Newcastle mm. in him and with the Euros coming up he's going to want to play regularly mm. and I don't think he will especially next even without Kai Havertz I think Ruben Loftus-Cheek would start ahead of him when he's fully fit um, next season. So, oh uh, yeah, I think he will end up going. That Van Lampard likes him. I mean, he's, mm. he said that publicly. He's got a lot of time for him, but I don't think that's going to stop <laughs> Kai Havertz, who is, you know, a, a high-class talent, uh, potentially elite player. I, you know, it's, I, mean, I like Ross Barkley. I think he's got a great attitude. I think he works really hard. Apparently he's a, Got a good attitude in training. Mm. You know, he's, mm. um, you know, he, you know, he always works hard when he plays. But it's that he's one of the most frustrating players mm. because he can score a great goal or mm. even do a great pass, and then he'll do like two or three bad passes or a shot that goes absolutely nowhere or whatever. But to so, be fair, James, yeah, Havertz and Mount as number eights. Imagine they're the starting eights probably next season. Then that's Loftus Cheek and who? I mean, are you saying Kovacic maybe as the, the other eight? Yeah, Kovacic I think will stay because he can play the number eight or he can play the number six. Yeah, so he gives I you a bit. So. Of I like Kovacic. No, I, I like Kovacic as well. I think he's a good player. Mm. Uh, I think ultimately he will be sold, but not this summer. I think. Do you, do you when think Chelsea he's a defensive midfield player? He will be the one that gets sold to make way for that. Do you think he's suffering by not being a lone six or an eight and being like an, an in-between? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. But he's a very talented player. I mean, he's, yeah. he's dribbling, he's, you know, he's passing, he's, he's, he's very good. Mm. Uh, yeah. You know, he's not, I mean, he's not, in terms of, you know, stats, he's not got many goals and assists, but his performances have been excellent this season. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've got five minutes to go on one topic. What I would say beforehand is, I think the front three of Ziyech, Werner, and Pulisic is, is, is sounds amazing. I think that's sort of what it's it's mounting up to be now. When I think about it, like, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, even then, you've got the likes of Abraham Giroud um, and uh, you know Hudson Odoi in backup, and that again, that's that's not too bad either. Um, yeah, but, what I've heard as well is that Chelsea want to sign. Ben Rama, if William leaves. Oh, the, Brent, the Brentford player. Yeah. Very, very yeah. good player. Lampard wants to have four. This is what I mentioned with Man City. Lampard wants to have four different options on the wing. Plus, Kai Havertz in midfield. Yeah. Because he, because he wants that depth. He does. Depth is important. But obviously, it's looking good up top, but less so maybe at the back. And obviously, yeah. a few <laughs> issues. Yeah. So we've got a good, this could be a 15 minute segment in itself, but I suppose just, it could, just it could. we'll it could. leave it at five. We'll leave it at five. I mean, uh, and obviously, I think in future, we could have 15 minutes solely on this, but we'll go for the depth, just for the general stuff. You know, there's a lot of issues in Chelsea's defence. You're not a big fan of the goalkeeper and he doesn't inspire too, lots of confidence. No. I think right-back right back options aren't too bad. Reese James has lots of promise. Aspili Quetta's one of the most underrated options in that position anyway. So, I agree. You know, Absolutely. Uh, Very also, 
also can play left back. But then if he's not playing left back, then Marcus Alonso is very good wing back, just an average, okay, not too bad left back, could probably improve. Emerson isn't bad. I mean, he's been linked with Antonio Conte, to be fair. But we'll, we'll, we'll avoid the full-back areas for now, and I think focus on the two in the centre, centre-backs and yeah. the goalkeeper. If it was up to you, would you sign a goalkeeper or a centre-back? You had, because it could come, if they go for Havertz, and they look for a left back that's, uh, you know, there is a obvious yeah, issue there. Yeah, I do there. feel like it's fine both this summer, depending on what happens with Kepa. But, yeah. but I mean, Kepa's Kepa really, Kepa, Kepa save percentage is 55% this season. It's gone up that 1% is, since we last spoke. That is, that is the lowest in the Premier League. It's also the lowest by any keeper that started 12 games or more in the Premier League ever. There's absolutely, we could have had Ben Foster in goal this season and we would have about seven or eight points more, at least, which would have been, we'd have been secure in Champions League already. So, mm. the goalkeeper, it doesn't matter. I mean, I think it didn't, wouldn't matter if you had Virgil van Dijk and Kuda Bali in front of Kepa, you would still concede goals that you shouldn't concede. Chelsea have, I think, the fourth least expected, fourth least shots conceded of any team in the five European leagues. But yet we have one of the worst, they have one of the worst defences. So, Kepa, getting rid of Kepa is an absolute priority defensively. But Chelsea do need a centre-back. Urgently. So which one? Which one's more of a priority then, in your mm. opinion? If, it was, if, if I had to choose between them, I would choose the goalkeeper right now. Mm. Partly because of the fact as well that it's going to be difficult to shift some of the defenders anyway. Partly because of the stats that I just, <laughs> that I just <laughs> shared with you. Like, I mean... So, but I, th- I think that Chelsea would try and get do both this summer mm. if they can. They want Declan Rice. Uh, Declan Rice is he's good in the air. He's 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 vocal. Good on he, the ball. Good on he's the a ball. leader. He's good on the ball. He's captaincy material. He's yeah. He's 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 an excellent player. Mm. He uh, every time I watch him, he reminds me of John Terry mm. and. I think that's what Lampard sees in him as well, that you know, he could be a guy who could lead and organise that defence. And he could, like, players like Kurt Zuma would improve mm. by playing with him. Mm. So I think, you know, and I think that will, I think, I think Declan Rice will join Chelsea either this summer or next summer, depending on if they can get a deal done. There's talk of um, Ross Barkley and, and money, you know, because West Ham want Ross Barkley. Oh. So, you know, that's a, that's a possibility. It depends, really. And if they don't get Declan Rice this summer, they'll think they'll get him next summer. If they don't get him this summer, they may still get a centre-back this summer. So uh, just in summary then there, James. So you'd say, I want a goalkeeper. You've mentioned Onana from Ajax before. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who, you know, someone good with the feet. And I think in general, a, a, a solid commanding goalkeeper does make a back to, to central defence in front of him look better. At the same yeah. time, I suppose, two very, very good centre-backs also make. The goalkeeper. I do, yeah. So it's, it's, it's an interesting one. Uh, but cost-effectively, I think it probably makes sense if, it, it, as you say, goalkeeper priority. But then, I, and just, just, just to, as we were in the final minute, just to touch on it, if you're saying that Declan Rice did come in, would he be the right centre-back alongside Kurt Zuma? Is, he the, is Zuma the one you, that you see as the... I think, well, Kurt Zuma is naturally right-footed, so he, I think he would... He plays on the left, though, doesn't he, for Chelsea? Yeah, I know, but that's not his best. That's not mm. his best side. No. I think. That, I think that if 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 Declan Rice joined, it would be Kurt Zuma and Declan Rice at centre back, and that would be a, a solid centre back partnership for me. 
I think Lampard has said he wants a consistent centre-back partnership, but he just hasn't been able to find yeah. one that works. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully that will get sorted this summer. Absolutely. Next time, James, we're going to win to 15. I, I'm well aware we could actually have spent 15 on the Chelsea fence and midfield and the attack. But I think that's a nice one to, nice way to finish. Goal, need a goalkeeper, more than a centre-back. Definitely need a left-back and Kai Havertz. So that would be a happy happy Chelsea yes. window. Absolutely. Okay, so on to, on to final topic, which is uh, England goalkeepers that really came up actually at the weekend. Uh, my team, Burnley, playing Liverpool. A remarkable game. I've never. I've been. It's been a while since I've been as energetic as that on the um, on watching a game. It's not that it meant anything, but this is a Liverpool team chasing a home win in every single game this season. And Burnley was a team that stopped them from doing it, which I thought was quite amusing. And Nick Pope was incredible, absolutely was. incredible. Made some unbelievable saves. And I mean, at the end, Johan Berggumbers had hit the crossbar. My head was. I was up like this, head in, hand in, head in my hands. But that was only made possible because of one of the best goalkeeper performances I've seen this season. Absolutely fantastic. Absolutely, no question. Yeah, Nick Pope has been excellent this season. He has been, you know, he, I think he's got the most. Is it the second most clean sheets in the Premier League? Or the most, the most, the most, yeah. the most. Um, got was, Golden Glove contender. He's winning it. Yeah, I thought it was either the most or the second most. Yeah, he's been superb this season. He's improved definitely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, read, I've read articles where that, where he talks about. How he's working on his game all the time and trying to improve mm. all the time, and, and you can see it. You can see mm. it. He's mm. uh, he's high mm. class. Yeah, there he is. I mean, have you got any any queries, James? Any queries for me as the as the man in the with the in the? In well, the yeah, I, I know a lot of people talk about what a Nick Pope or just England goalkeepers generally. Yeah, just all, all of it, all of it. Go okay, well, first I suppose Nick Pope, like because a lot of people talk about his distribution not yes. being yes as good as it could be mm. and he plays for Burnley where he doesn't really need to mm. yeah. have good distribution because of the style of football that they play mm. yeah I mean no, no, no disrespect to it at all because it's effective and I have mm. a lot of time for Burnley and for yep. Sean Dyke and how they do what they do with the budget that they have mm. so yeah but it's just that does he have to, I mean to play for England mm. and to play in international tournaments against top yep. sides and the yep. style of football that England want to play, yep. you know, can he, the question for Nick Pope is, can he develop the skills, distribution skills to try yep. to do that? Because there's no question he should be in the squad, but mm. does he have the potential to be able to develop the skills to do that? And would he need to move clubs to do that? Mm. Well, um, no, that's a good, good question. Um, I think, Right, I, I, I was right about this uh, earlier in the week, and I think if you if if the World Cup or European Championships was in 2012, 2011, 2010 even, whatever, 10 years ago, it was 10 years ago and we had the same players available to us now, I think he'd be number one. I think he'd be England number one. I think he is, you know, let, let's strip back goalkeeping. Certainly 10 years ago, what did you talk about when you talked about goalkeeping? You talked about could they keep the ball out of the net? Could they command the box? Were they a leader? Did they inspire confidence? And he does, and he is. He, he's a brilliant shot stopper, as we saw against against Liverpool. I think that's yeah. partly because of how big he is. He's huge. But then, you know, at the same time, Fraser Forster was huge. And towards the end of his Southampton uh, playing time, he, he he wasn't necessarily inspiring confidence. But with Pope, he uses his body in the right way. He's athletic despite his size, so he can, he, he's very, you know, he can get across. He's not slow down to shots. 
You know, one, one of the saves in particular against Liverpool where he's diving behind the line to save his incredible athleticism. Yeah. And you don't expect that from someone so big. You think if the ball's gone past, oh, they won't be able to move the body frame. He's so huge. But he's genuinely very athletic and very quick in, in his dives and getting down to shots. Also, one thing that stands him out above the rest is he, he, his high claims, which is when he comes out to claim the ball and takes the pressure off the defenders. 48 times he's done that this season. And the second most in the league is Tim Krull with 27. I mean, that's a substantial difference. I mean, this is a guy who doesn't shirk responsibility. And you talk about big goalkeepers and responsibility and the big goalkeepers, not size-wise, but the, the, better, the, best, the best goalkeepers are ones that don't shirk responsibility. They, take, they embrace it, they take it on. Yeah. Now, taking game into his own hands by coming off his line and claiming the ball 48 times and taking pressure off defenders, that is taking responsibility. You know, that's not sitting on your line you think, of, you think of small team goalkeepers, you know, and I, 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 you know, I, I class Burnley as a smaller team, but you think they may have better stats because they, ha- they can parry balls into the six-yard box and the defender's going to clear it because they sit really deep. And they can uh, keep clean sheets because two defenders in front are so deep they can clear all the balls with the head and they don't have to do as much in terms of coming out and claiming the ball. They can save, save shots, parry them out, and they'll be cleared. So you can say they're a bit misleading, but with Pope, it's not like that. I mean, you know, he he doesn't. Re- he, yeah, obviously, his defenders are very good, but he doesn't rely on them all the time. He actually is actually the other way around. The defenders rely on him to come out ten yards and claim the ball, to come out fifteen yards and grab it, to take control of the situation. So he's not someone who shirks responsibility. I know I'm waffling a bit there, but that's what he's good at. It's his it's shot stopping and his um, and, and the way he commands his box and his leadership from the back. Just to go on to a point I mentioned before, 2010, same players, he's playing. Popes, for me, is a victim of football's progression in the past four or five years. He's come onto the scene at the wrong time. When Pep Guardiola came into England, he got rid of Joe Hart and he brought Claudio Bravo in. And they said, why are you getting rid of a good goalkeeper? You know, a really good shot stopper. He says he can't play with his feet. Everyone said, what are you doing? What do you mean he can't play with his feet? He's, he's, a, he's a city legend. He wasn't proven right by Bravo. He was a bit of a calamity. And obviously, the season after... Uh, he brought Edison in and he's, he could do the passing. I mean, Bravo was a brilliant passer of the ball. Wasn't very good in goal, uh, you know, in the Premier League. And Edison's a brilliant passer of the ball, but he's very good in goal. So it, it, it ticks both boxes. Yeah. But when he did that, when he made that big decision, he got rid of Joe Hart. People said, you're mad, you're mad. Then he starts winning things. And people are going, oh, hang on. Maybe the goalkeeper is an outfield player. player. Maybe he does contribute to the system. Maybe he is, you know, you can pass at him. He's an option now on the field. That was a that was a, that was that did exist, you know, maybe at Barcelona. And Manuel Neuer was was Europe's mainstream answer to being an outfield player, wasn't he? Even though no, everyone thought he was an exception. Now he's now it's the norm. The goalkeeper must be good with the feet. He must contribute at the big club to the style of play. Usually, anyway. And one example I think that stands out for me is Petr Cech. When Petr Cech was at Chelsea, James, you'll know he was one of the best goalkeepers in the world. And Absolutely. and he, and he was a brilliant shot stopper. He, he was a leader, commanded his box well, but, and he, but you know, that's what he did. And you never said, oh, but could Petacek spray the ball 30 yards on a sixpence to a midfield? No, 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 he, but he could kick it. No one would have mentioned that. When he went to Arsenal, it didn't necessarily work out for him as well as it did at Chelsea. When Unai Emery came in, I remember that first game of his against Man City, Petacek was in goal, and Emery was basically asking him to be the, an 11th man, be an 11th you know, outfield player, contribute to the contribute to the player, contribute to the possession and be, make yourself an option. And he tried and he looked like 
you know, a, a disaster waiting to happen. Every time the ball came to his feet, you know, this is a goalkeeper that probably under Jose Mourinho, it was knock it over halfway to the big man or pass it out short to the to the defender, not just under Mourinho, but under various managers. Roll, throw the ball out to a, to a teammate. You know, do basic things with the distribution. And then under Unai Emery, it's pass the ball first time, 30 yards to the, to the right back. Play some neat one-twos with your teammate, with your teammates. Come out with the ball. Look composed on the ball. You know, this is it was completely different. And he looked completely lost. Completely lost. And so so much so that Petr Cech now, Petr Cech of 10 years ago, playing now, I don't think would have got the same accolades, would it have been in the same teams because he'd have been people would have looked at his feet, they'd have looked at the way he kicked the ball and said, Can you you know, you're not really fitting the grade, you're not really fitting that because it's changed. The style has changed. The way we perceive football has changed. Yeah. And with Pope coming onto the scene, 26 years old when he played the first, his first Premier League game, he's come in and he's got all the attributes to be a really good goalkeeper. And he's, show, he's showing it week in, week out. He's better shot stopper, better at the back, better leader, better person to assure his defenders and, and take responsibility of crosses. He's better than Henderson, who's still a very good goalkeeper. And he's a lot better than Pickford. But the fundamental flaw in that is the goalkeeper now, as is, as Gareth Southgate even perceives, is someone who has to contribute to the style. And Pickford can do that pretty well. When his head's in it, might I add. Sometimes when his head's not in it, he does strange things. But when his head is in it, he can contribute to, to it well. England v Spain, 3-2 England. Pickford was in goal and he was brilliant he, from, his, from a passing point of view. He did a driven, a driven pass about 45 yards up the pitch to, I think it was... It was Eric Dyer. I'm not 100% sure. I'm thinking a while, while back. But it was Chester down. It cut out, was really quick. So it caught Spain off guard. And from that move, one or two or three passes later, I think England scored. I think it was uh, it was either Sterling or Rashford. And I think he did it again for one of the goals. I think he played another, another accurate ball out to the flanks. And again, it caught Spain off guard. And England were able to play through and score. It was a perfect example, really, of what that can do. What, what, why Pickford's in the side because it does make a difference Edison makes a difference to Man City it does make a difference at the top level but it's a recent shift in attitude to a progressive attitude I'm not saying it's a bad thing or a good thing or, or, or well it is a good thing it, it, it makes it, it you know it's, it's really exciting to watch and it's a clever tactical move question I ask myself and I might as well pose this to you as well because I've talked a bit is you know Guardiola got rid of Parks, he wasn't good enough with his feet. He brought Bravo in, who was good enough with his feet. When he realised Bravo wasn't a good enough goalkeeper to be a number one in the Premier League, he went to bought Edison, who was a good, a good enough goalkeeper, and he was good with his feet. But Gareth Southgate, his England manager, has a dilemma of Pickford, who's very good with his feet. He can be a good goalkeeper, but he, you know, he, he's flattering to deceive quite a lot at the moment, and he's making a lot of errors. So, in, in essence, I'm going to say right at this moment in time. Average goalkeeper, good with his feet. That's what, oh, at this moment in time, average goalkeeper, good with his feet. He got Henderson, who's decent goalkeeper, okay with his feet, a bit better than Pope. Not, not, not as good as Pickford. Pickford's very good, but he's okay with his feet and he's a decent goalkeeper. He got Pope, who's an excellent goalkeeper, who's not very good with his feet. And you've got, yeah. you see, so unlike Guardiola, he can't go into the transfer market and say, I'm going to get someone who ticks both boxes. He's got everyone. He's got Pickford who ticks one box, his style, which is probably the most important thing, Marty to Southgate, like it is to Guardiola and Klopp and managers of the, and Ten Hag at Ajax. Yeah. 
And then you've got Pope who ticks the other box in that he, he's, you know, from a goalkeeping perspective, as we say, 10 years ago, he'd be lauded as one of the league's best because he's got the lot, except for his kicking and his throwing, which is not brilliant. And then you've got Henderson, who's don't really tick either box properly. He's not quite as good as Pope. He's not in terms of goalkeeping, but he's pretty good. He's not quite, he's not as good as Pickford with his kicking, but he's not bad. And, but, but he is young and he has time to, to develop his game. It, it, I, I think he'll go with Pickford for what it's worth. It's, I think it's the argument, isn't it, James, whether style is more important and, and philosophy is more important than, than getting yeah. the right player on the pitch. And it's a difficult one because of the style that England play. But, yeah. But the thing is, a bad goalkeeper will cost you goals. That's, mm. that's the thing. A bad goalkeeper will cost you goals that you would not otherwise have conceded. There has to be an element of they need to be able to pass and distribute the ball at a basic level even. Mm. Yeah. A decent level, but but you know, at a high level, you need a goalkeeper who can save shots, mm-hmm. uh, who can come and claim balls, and who mm-hmm. can, you know, who pull off great saves and be consistent. Who would be your so, number one? Very difficult because there's part of me that would that is inclined to go for Pope because he's the best goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. But in real terms, we we need a goalkeeper who can play out from the back. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not. I mean, on his day, Pickford can be excellent. excellent. He's a World Cup hero. Let's day. not let's not forget. He was amazing in the twenty eighteen World Cup. He was. He was superb. He was really good. If he played like that all the time, yeah, he'd be first choice. But he doesn't. Henderson, yeah. I think, has a lot of potential to be a really top goalkeeper. In thirty seconds, James, who's your number one? Please. I would probably, I'd probably look to the long term and go with Henderson and allow him to develop. Even for 2021? 2021? Oh, God. Yeah. It will be Pickford, I think, in all honesty. I'd probably go with Pickford until 2021, but then beyond that, I think I would go with with Henderson. Tell you what, just as a lasting line, if if Sam Allardyce hadn't have been dismissed, Nick Pope would have been number one, wouldn't he? He would, wouldn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Although, can I just say on record, I'm glad Gareth Southgate is England manager. Oh, my. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, no, that's a nice way to round it off anyway. So, yeah, that was four topics, four 15 minutes of football. If the editors are very, you know, smart and clever, they will be already ahead of the game and they'll edit it in such a good way that it was done exactly how I wrote down to Wayne, our, our executive producer. However... And I don't hold it against them if they don't. This is just a piloted episode, but I think I like the structure and I think it worked quite well. So from myself and from James, it's a goodbye. And hopefully we'll bring you more F-mom, as I've yeah. it, or 15 minutes of football. So <laughs> see you later, everyone. Take care, everyone.